What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 106 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Beard, beard, beard. about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, break down this week's news, and then conclude by asking the question, should vegans advocate human population control? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, Paul, you sound a little stuffy over there. <laughs> not stuffy, Andy. I just, I started substitute teaching and I had a not great first grade experience uh, where I yelled more than I ever have in my entire life. And this was yesterday and now it's 9 p.m. Uh, the following evening and my voice is still completely shot. I might also be getting sick because I'm sure there were a lot of germs going around, but yes, so... <laughs> My voice is definitely going, or it is already gone, and hopefully, <laughs> I'm sure talking for two hours on a podcast is not the best thing for it, but we'll see how this goes. Maybe slowly my volume will just go, keep going down, 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 and then I'll just, I'll just fade out eventually, and it will just be Andy talking. <laughs> I've totally lost your voice. I just picture you yelling at a bunch of Jeremy first graders. <laughs> you would <laughs> not be incorrect, Andy. <laughs> Well, before we get into the show, a couple of announcements coming up not too far from now. December 9th, we're going to be doing our next live podcast taping. It's going to be at the Compassion Fest Holiday Market in Hamden, Connecticut, taking place at 5 p.m. It is free entry for all, so would love to see some Connecticut beardos make it out to that. Should be a fun time. And this was episode 106. That means we're a few short episodes away from our next mailbag. And that means we want all of your listener questions, comments, and concerns. You can send those into thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. No question too big or too small or too medium, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Yes. And I also just wanted to say I recently did an interview on the Download My Ashes podcast. Uh, it's episode 12. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's uh, it's me and my buddy Tim talking about stuff of generally no consequence, but if you just want to hear me talking a little bit about the podcast, a little bit about my time touring in, in my old band, and general thoughts on a whole bunch of things, head over and check it out if you're looking for a little, little extra dose of Andy this week. I could always use a little extra dose of Andy. Oh, Paul. You know, <laughs> you're going to get a huge dose of me because I'm going to be in your physical presence pretty soon. Yes, I cannot wait for it. So excited for that. <laughs> so what have you been eating, Andy? Well, you know, I, I spent some more time in Florida. I just left. I'm in Georgia right now, but didn't eat too much that was like super interesting that I thought to share. But I did return to the restaurant that I mentioned last week that I was unsure of the pronunciation. And I can confirm that it's pronounced Dejen Eats, which is a combination of Dave and Jen who started the place. So All right. That's an official correction on air right there. Uh, I was in Tallahassee earlier today, and I went to The Bark, which is an acronym for The Bread and Roses Kitchen. 
highly recommended by a lot of people in the area and a few people that moved away from the area. And I looked on the menu, and my eyes gravitated towards a very predictable dish for me, Paul. <laughs> Fried tofu banh mi. Of course. And it was on this uh, bread that they made there. It was, i got to say, it was quite delicious. Something I loved about it was they included a peanut sauce on there in addition to some sriracha and some other, I believe, like mayo-y kind of sauce. So there's like a ton of flavors going on in there. Certainly would not call it a traditional banh mi by any stretch, but did include a lot of those those flavors. So I will definitely be heading back to the bark next time I go to Tallahassee because it was pretty dang tasty. Nice, nice. And also in Florida, I just did the Tampa Bay Veg Fest, and Paul, a single lone beardo came out to say hello to me there. So thank you to Jessica for coming out. Thank you, Jessica. And and since I only had one beardo to give a shout-out to this week, I found the list of our Toronto beardos that we neglected several episodes ago. So I figure, what better time to do it than now? So thank you very much to the beardos that came out in Toronto. Anna, Stephanie, Brian, Anne, Sarah, Colleen, Steph, Robert, Teddy, Drew, Giselle, Jessica, and Owen. So many beardos. That was, Andy, that was a great time. It was a great time. It makes me want to go back and listen to that episode, but Toronto was awesome. So makes thank me want you. to go back to Toronto. Yes. So thank you once again to all the beaters that do come out and say hi. It really makes our day. So thank you. Paul, mm-hmm. how, how goes it in the world of Philadelphia vegan food? Well, besides this meatball controversy that we talked about last week, I had <laughs> forgot to mention a couple weeks ago, I went to this really cool event, John of the Dead which was a, like a little vegan pop-up uh, put on by Carlo and Carmela. Of course, we interv- uh, did we interview them? Did we interview them, Andy? I did a little interview with them because they went to Expo East or West. I forget which one it was. The big natural products expo where a lot of the fun new vegan products are unveiled. Normally, I do make it out. But I didn't this year due to some scheduling conflicts. So we did a, a short interview with them. I'm, I am, Paul, I am blanking on the episode number. No, but we, no. did, we did interview them about the latest and greatest that was going to be coming out. So, yeah, yeah, definitely really two of my favorite people. They are just such mm-hmm. a, a wonderful duo. Yes, and they also run VMARKS The Shop, which is getting a physical location soon, which I cannot wait for. I can't wait to get all my vegan goodies there. But they put on this awesome event. Uh, there was a lot of great vendors. Of course, our friends at Brewing Good, Gone Pie, and Fanciful Fox were there. It's always good to see you know, the, the other frienders. And I also met a... a Andy, like you, I met a lone beardo there. I met Meredith, and we talked for a little bit, and it was a really nice chat. So thank you for coming up and saying hello. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Beardos are everywhere. <laughs> in the ones or twos. Yeah, so, sometimes in larger groups than others. But. <laughs> so with that being said, I think it's time to move on into the vegan news of the week. Mm, what you got for us on the docket, Paul? So this first one from WUNC.org titled Move Over Meat, Tyson Foods CEO is excited about plant proteins. <laughs> Wonk.org. Wonk.org. Uh, and of course, we'll include all these links to all the, all the articles that we talk about today. But this one is actually a it's – a, it's a public radio station. So I, I believe it's not Wonk. It's W-U-N-C, like you, how you would say uh, <laughs> a radio <Dang> station. It, <laughs> uh, I, I hope that they're like, W-U-N-C, the Wonk. Uh, 
Uh, Giving him the wonk since 1994. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so this is this is an interview that you can actually go ahead and listen to on this website. But they went and transcribed it for us, which was nice of them. And so I just took out one specific spot. So this was Tom Hayes, Tyson's president and CEO, speaking to Marketplace host Kai Rizdahl, who from, is from N- NPR, correct, Andy? <laughs> I believe that's correct. With a name like that, it's got to be NPR. But yes, (laughs) definitely definitely a host at NPR. So just reading from this, you can go and listen to it or read the transcript. But essentially, Rizdal asks, he says, let me throw a phrase at you and get your reaction. And he just says, plant-based protein. And Hayes, the president and CEO of Tyson, says, I love it. Uh, And and he, he admits that he doesn't. He doesn't eat just protein. He is, an, an, as he calls himself, an animal protein lover. But he also says this, which is, I think this is the quote that's that's worth talking about. He said, certainly at Tyson, we are all about protein. So for us, you know, we want to look at what are the trends that are happening and how can we continue to make the animal protein sector more sustainable. But we're also looking for anything that consumers want as well as can be an affordable, sustainable technology to leverage to help feed the world on a sustainable basis. So absolutely, plant protein. Very excited about it. That last part sounds like a Trump quote. Plant protein. <laughs> very ex- very excited about it. I'm it's going to be huge. <laughs> I'm the most excited about this plant protein. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I don't know. Just, just an, an interesting thing for the Tyson CEO to say. I, I think... I mean, it makes sense. They they invested in what was it? Beyond Meat. Yeah, they I bought believe five percent of Beyond Meat. Five percent of Beyond Meat. So it seems like they were dipping their toes in the water a little bit. And I mean, maybe we'll just either see Tyson themselves releasing plant based products, or they'll maybe start like another. My guess is that they would start another kind of sub company that the i don't know it'll be called plant or something like that and it'll be like some fake some fake meat products i would guess that they're not going to put out fake meat under their own name just because i feel like they would believe that would be a bad decision i don't know what do you think andy well first let me stop you paul it's not fake meat it's real meat made from plants thank you thank you <laughs> i think that's beyond meat's tagline anyway I guess my so here are my thoughts. I, I agree that I think that it would be a, a wrong move for Tyson to put their name on a plant-based meat product because they carry such a negative stigma amongst yeah. e- even meat eaters. I remember doing tons of outreach, and so many people told me, "Well, I stopped eating Tyson because of videos like this." So I, unless they're just trying to rehab their image, for me, honestly, it just makes sense for them to rebrand altogether. But maybe we will see Tyson plants, like something like that coming out in the future. This interview, I did not listen to the whole interview. I'm just looking at this snippet that you sent me, Paul. Maybe I'll go check it out later at some point. But it certainly seems a lot like they're kind of greenwashing their whole image right now i know they have some some bad imagery we have definitely talked about in the past how they are actually one of the most polluting companies in the entire world that they are worse than a lot of the major oil companies in fact so it would make sense for them to go on npr and talk about how they're always looking to make things more sustainable and how they're trying to feed the world and and to me, honestly, I'm just kind of like, eh, I, I hope that's what you care about. But your your company's track record certainly does not show that that's what you care about. 
obviously people can change. People deserve to to move on and not be held back by the constraints of their past. But to me, it feels disingenuous. I, I wish that he was just like, hell yeah, if we can make some fucking money from that, we will do it. Because that's that's what they care about. So, you know, I'm again, I'm glad. I think it's better when there's more options than not out there. And obviously with their distribution and leverage, they could get their version of plant-based meat, even if it's just a rebranded Beyond Meat. I'm sure they could get it into more places than than Beyond Meat currently could. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, you know, I was recently, I was recently at Disneyland, Paul. For any of the res- listeners that were wondering if that ever actually happened for me, yes, it <laughs> happened very recently. And I was just struck by, and I always think about this, but I think especially when I'm in a place where there's kind of a lack of vegan options, where it seems like there could just so easily be vegan options, and you're walking about Disneyland, and you're like, oh, I can get a chicken tender basket here and there, and a burger here, and you're just like. It would be so easy for them to just offer some Guardian tenders or a Beyond Meat burger at all of these locations, and it's not happening for some reason. Yeah. And it feels like Tyson would be a company that could like get those contracts and get that leverage and get their foot in the door and make those things happen. Vegan Warrior Princess has just put out a really interesting episode all about they talk about this often, but talking about the dangers of capitalism and veganism and all this stuff. And in this type of situation in particular they talked about how we often will celebrate these types of things and i know paul you and i are generally in favor of this stuff and we're Mm -hmm. like it's silly to say that buying a vegan product from non-vegan company is supporting animal cruelty because they're going to replace that non-vegan product with another non-vegan product because that's what the market's telling them that they want. But they were talking about how the added profits that will come in from something like this, they can then use to expand to other countries where there is not the demand for plant-based food, but there is the demand for meat. And as we know that like as countries gain wealth, as populations gain wealth, eating meat is currently a sign of affluence. So it did kind of give me pause to, to feel any sort of celebration over this thing, even though my normal baseline is... It's, you know, with all with all of the machinations of capitalism and all these things that I feel like are not good, but I'm still like, well, it's better that these options exist that they don't. But it does kind of give me pause about these large companies getting their foot in the game to make these products because, yeah, they are ultimately going to be expanding to other markets as well. And, of course, that might just mean that the activists in that area need to start working on getting people to want the plant-based foods instead. And that whole process, you know, continues and intensifies, but yeah, it, it's like a kind of a, a bittersweet development for me, I guess. That's definitely not something that I've thought about before. And d- from the th- 10 seconds that I've had to think about it right now, after you've said it, it seems like, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like it would be a really tricky you're like walking on this fence where it's kind of it's you're 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 supporting a company up until a certain like up until they grow to a certain level and then it's like oh and then I'm now I'm not going to support that company anymore obviously it's not as black and white as that but when when you're picking and choosing which companies to support and not that I don't think people should look at look 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 into companies more than just what are the products that they're selling or what are the products that I'm buying which is what we're asking non-vegans to do when we say, hey, look look into this more than just what's the end result of, of what you're getting. It's just not just the food that you're eating. But 
I digress. But I feel like it would be a really tricky kind of balance where, yes, you have these giants like Tyson where you can probably say, yeah, I, I, I would probably be okay not supporting this this company. But then you have other companies that are, you know, medium-sized or growing and it, it just seems really difficult. And it's something that I look forward to thinking about, Andy. So thank you for alerting me to that. And I will definitely be checking out that episode to listen to it. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of a lot of great uh, <clears throat> food for thought, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we move on to this next item, Paul? Yes, let's move on to the next item. All right, so this is one that you brought to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tee this one up for you and get your thoughts on it, Paul. This is coming to us from plantbasednews.org who we talked about last episode and we'll be talking about them a little bit more later on but this article is Tofurky Trot Race to Raise Awareness of Farmed Animals Plight Ahead of Thanksgiving. So coming from this article, a turkey-themed race will be taking place in Los Angeles this weekend in a bid to raise awareness of the horrors of factory farming just ahead of Thanksgiving. The 5K Tofurky Trot, which is sponsored by vegan foodie brand Tofurky and organized by the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, FFAC, will see people of all ages and fitness levels wearing turkey-themed apparel and running for the cause of veganism. The race will be followed by a vegan food fest with vendors such as Taqueria La Viganza, Mama's International Tamales, and Ripple Foods serving decadent animal-free eats. Hell Yeah! And side note, Taqueria La Viganza is uh, a food vendor that does pop-ups in the Bay Area that I kept missing, and everyone raves about the food. So, kind of jealous of the people that are gonna be at this. But Paul, so this is this is something that these Tofurky trots take place all over the country, usually around this time of year. So, what about this story made you want to bring it to our listeners' attention? How do you feel about these events? I'm gonna be honest, Andy. I did not know that these were things that occurred so frequently <laughs> so there <laughs> like I, I wasn't aware that this was a, a very prevalent thing but i think that it's i think that it's a good idea i know there are a lot of people and i, I literally know people that will just that just do races like that's their that's their thing they run races and you know, this one costs $40, $40 in advance, $50 on the day. And as far as I know, that's that's pretty par for the course and, and possibly even on the, the cheaper end of what what one of these races could possibly cost. I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe for 5K, it's it's usually not as expensive as some of the longer ones. But it it seems like it would attract people that have no other ties to veganism and just want to run a race. And I do think that that has the potential to expose them. Uh, you know, it, it the, the ticket includes admission to the, the vegan food fest. So I think if you entice someone with, I'm, I'm guessing free food or at least some free samples of stuff, they're probably going to take it. If they've just run a race and are like, I'm pretty hungry right now. I, I should probably eat something. I should probably refuel. Once they have that sweet, sweet ripple, they'll never turn back. But <laughs> I I think that it can, I think that it does have the ability to expose people. And, and I think, like I said, you're going to get people that are coming just for the race and Come for the race, stay for the vegan, as I've always said. So I, I think it could be. I think it could probably be good. Yeah, I, I certainly can see that. And for those that are interested in, in getting in on this, 
Tofurky organizes one officially in Portland and Los Angeles every year. And then they kind of have information on their website that's like, you can just organize your own. And I've certainly seen veg fests that do a Tofurky Trot 5K before their event. So often when that happens, a lot of sweaty people will then be circulating the floor of the veg fest <laughs> afterwards. I think, honestly, my only issue with this is sort of just the wording of the horrors of factory farming. Because, of course, as we all know, it's not just factory farming that is an issue. It's the use of animals. It's not necessarily how horribly they are abused. It's that they're being used at all. So factory farming brings up all these horrible connotations, but it is also small-scale farming that is a problem. So that's that's my minor nit to pick about this whole thing, but I certainly agree with you on its ability to potentially expose people to a good message otherwise. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the that's the tagline that plant-based news gave it. Is that also the tagline of is that the official tagline? I mean, it is put on by Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, so... That's true. I, 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 I <laughs> that is assume. true. I have yes. to assume. So. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I, I think... I, I would guess it does It does more harm than good. I mean... I mean... <laughs> no, the opposite. <laughs> I would guess that it... I would guess that it does more good than harm. From, from literally knowing nothing else besides this small piece of information that I just read. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like a pretty innocuous event uh, with the much more potential to do good than harm. I will say, I'm kind of glad you brought this up, though, because if only there was someone out there that makes a turkey-themed vegan shirt that listeners could <laughs> buy to go to the Tofurky Trot. You might find one at <laughs> CompassionCo.com if you're looking for one. Just, just saying, just saying. <laughs> Andy's, in, in 106 episodes, I think Andy's plugged Compassion Co. twice. <laughs> at least in the middle of an episode in the middle of an episode that's true yeah you're always playing that at the end you greedy greedy bastard <laughs> <laughs> let's move on into our final news story of the day this one is coming to us from goodoldvegnews.com vegan food truck serves free meals to the homeless vegan food truck vigo bistro and apologize if that it's v-e-g-o i i we're going to guess that that's Vigo. Vigo Bistro recently began work on a full commissary kitchen to expand its reach in the greater Atlanta area. Vigo Bistro serves an eclectic menu comprised of dishes such as a vegan barbecue pulled vork sandwich stuffed <laughs> with spiced jackfruit, the taco stack, a take on a Mexican-inspired taco salad, and gluten-free macaroni and cheese, along with a selection of soup, salads, and four daily desserts. Through their charity, Full Bellies, Full Hearts, Vigo Bistro founders Lindsay and David Esterline partner with local organizations to serve the truck's full menu at least once per month, free of charge, to people at homeless shelters. The truck is currently off the street, a requirement during the construction of the commissary kitchen, and the couple is nearing completion of its crowdfunding campaign to finance the expansion, with the hopes of opening a full-service restaurant in the area soon. So... I don't know if we have too much to say about this. I think that it's an awesome, Not I have not had, I've never been to Atlanta. I haven't experienced the food myself, but I think it's awesome that they, they have this charity going. I think that's a real cool thing that they're doing. So I um, just wanted to give some, give, give them a, give them a shout out. And we will definitely post a link to that GoFundMe campaign in the show notes. When we were looking at it, we were like, oh, this is actually kind of an old campaign. Why is Veg News sharing this? 
now and we found out that uh, Vigo Bistro is relaunching this campaign so they're about $15,000 away from their goal right now so if this is something that you feel like you want to support I would say definitely go for it to me this seems like it's a great way to bridge gaps between movements obviously it's just a good thing to do and I would love to see more businesses do this I know this is probably not the easiest thing for a lot of businesses to afford a full day of, you know, free food that they're giving out, but definitely shows that some, some vegans care about the well-being of humans as well as animals. And of course humans are animals. So I think this is definitely a really worthy project to back. Hell yeah. All right. I just want to do a little bit of follow-up before we get into the main discussion. So last episode, we talked about our feelings about a trailer for a new film that's coming out called Vegan 2017 that is being put out by Plant Based News. And we we did a lot of speculation, Paul, mm-hmm. about what is this film? What's it going to be? How long, how long is it going to be? All of these things. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of woefully... Not that this information was included in the the article that we cited from Plant-Based News, but we didn't do enough research because this is, in fact, a series that Plant-Based News is putting out uh, seemingly regularly. So we got a comment on our Instagram from JacobiXVX that says, Plant-Based News seems to be doing this as a wrap-up for each year recently. I watched a 2016 one, and I'm pretty sure they did a 2015. To be honest, they were actually pretty inspiring just to see all the developments going on, especially in Europe. So I looked into this, and I found the Vegan 2016, and it's half an hour long. The 2015 is 22 minutes long. So I I know that a film doesn't have to be a feature-length, hour-and-a-half thing, but... To me, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know if I would hide this up as like a film necessarily, or at least call it a short yeah. film. But I actually have to agree with uh, Jacoby here that I thought it was a pretty solid wrap-up sort of uh, documentation of what happened in the world of mainstream vegan activism. Uh, again, you know, one of our comments was that the the trailer didn't seem particularly diverse, and I think that that certainly showed in the 2016 one as well but it is a nice little documentation of a lot of the things that happened in the the mainstream activist scene as well as developments in plant-based foods and and lab meat and all of these things and it it actually does cover a little bit about the the controversy that we've we've talked about plenty of times on the show before that some people don't think lab grown or the clean meat is technically vegan talks a little bit about that, but acknowledges the power that it has to save animals. So it does actually a pretty nice job. And I think that in general, I think a lot of people could potentially find it to be inspiring to, to be like, all right, we've made some progress and we got a lot more work to do. It talks a lot about anti-vegan stories in mainstream news outlets and what we're up against and how we have all this work, but we're making progress. So I actually do think I, I, that this could be a really good tool. And so I look forward to checking out what they have to do to wrap up 2017. Yeah, I look forward to it too, Andy. And yeah. thank you. Thanks, uh, Jacoby, for pointing that out to us. Let, yeah, giving it to us straight because we we uh, I guess we should have looked at that. We should have we've tried to find if there was earlier versions of this, but now we know. And you can check out 2016 and 2015 just by going to YouTube right now. We'll put some links to that in the show notes. But if you just do vegan 2016, you should find it. So thank you, Jacoby, once again. So Andy, what do you got uh, for our main discussion of the week? 
Yeah, this is uh, one that I've been wanting to do for a little while now. So the question is, should vegans advocate for human population control? So we got an email from Carmen, who, Paul, we actually met at the Animal Rights Conference this year. And Carmen emailed in to say, I was curious if y'all have had any discussions on any of your podcasts about the world population. Meaning, like, if the whole world goes vegan but continues to procreate at the rate at which it is and in parentheses, a rate I don't know, are we still going to be in trouble? If so, shouldn't we be addressing this problem as well? What do y'all think? So I thought this is this is a really interesting question. It definitely ties into many discussions that we've had in the past. We'll try and bring in those and then make notes of episodes where we did talk about them. For people that have no idea, you know, what, what is the problem with human population, human population growth? And as Carmen in the email said, I don't know what the population growth rate is necessarily. So I did a little research into that. So let's just kind of lay it out what a lot of people say is potentially the issue here. So the human population is currently at 7.6 billion. And the, the current growth rate in the human population is about 75 million annually, or about 1.1% per year. So the global population has grown from 1 billion in 1800 to 7 billion in 2012 and it's expected to keep growing and there's you know there's some controversy over certain estimates but generally speaking a lot of people will use the numbers that it's estimated to put the total population at about 8.4 billion by mid 2030 and 9.6 billion by mid 2050. So that is a lot of people. And so the issue that is on the table is humans we use resources on this planet and we are currently using more than we can necessarily sustain so there's a really great article over at motherjones.com called the last taboo this was published uh, june 2010 so it's not the most current but a lot of the numbers are still pretty close so uh, according to the global footprint network a california think tank we first overdrew our accounts in 1983 which is meaning the amount of resources we're using when our population of nearly 4.7 billion began to consume natural resources faster than they could be replenished, a phenomenon called ecological overshoot. Last year, 6.8 billion of us consumed the renewable resources of 1.4 Earth. So obviously that 6.8 billion, we're now at 7.6 billion. So as you can just do a little quick math in your head, even if you're not Professor Paul Steller, you're saying <laughs> we are using a lot more resources than the earth can currently replenish in a year. So obviously this is something that humans should be concerned with, right? Because we need food and water and resources to thrive as a species. And I think also from the specific vegan perspective, a lot of people would say this amount of humans that we have on this earth consuming all of these animals is obviously doing a lot of harm to animals. So there's almost like kind of two aspects to this, Paul. One is the concern for the animals affected by the humans. And then the other question, which Carmen points to is, even if the world is fully vegan, is this something that we still need to worry about? So I do, I kind of want to go at it from both angles there. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we before we really get into it, um, Paul, I'm wondering, what are your what are your general thoughts on this topic? I will start by saying this is not something that I've thought too intensely about before before today, which I'm sure that's what we will be doing, and I'm sure this is what I will be, will be plaguing my mind afterwards. But I haven't really thought about it too much before, and my initial thoughts are almost that it will get to a point 
where I mean, I think a lot of people would say we are already at that point, but I feel like it'll get to a point where someone will have to make some change, whether that's a change with how we eat, how we produce our food, how we live, like where we live. I feel like there's going to have to be some change or changes, I should say, it's going to be more than one, that are going to have to happen and... I feel like we are approaching that that moment or I guess it might it's not going to be I don't think it's going to be everything at once but I think we are going to start to see in the in my lifetime we're going to start to see these kind of societal shifts again maybe it's it's how we live like and, and how we use space and how buildings are made maybe it's it's how food is produced i'm not sure but i feel like in my lifetime we are going to see some of those things because it is going to get to a point where if we don't do that we will just die and maybe that's also what will happen maybe we'll all just die <laughs> that's a, that's another possibility but the thing is as it relates to veganism i feel like there are probably many people right now working on this exact problem and trying to tackle this problem from different from different angles the the human overpopulation problem and i'm sure there are many people who are working on ways to raise animals or ways to just just different ideas about food production related to animals and how they can make that more efficient and how they can make that more effective or use less land or all those sorts of things. So I do, I, I mean, I think this is a problem. This is an issue in itself that if we don't tackle this issue, we're all doomed. But I am also partially worried that this issue doesn't necessarily lead people to to say, oh, and so veganism is the solution to this, or veganism is going to help out this a lot, because I do worry that as technology advances and, and, and as people come up with new ideas, I do worry that someone is going to come up with some way that's going to completely re... It's just going to completely redo how animals are raised and it's going to make it in some efficient way so that it's it's now possible to feed everyone in the world. And then I think that's going to put what we are trying to do or what we're trying to focus on in terms of promoting veganism or not using animals. I think that's going to put us at a big disadvantage. So, so I do worry that veganism and overpopulation don't go hand in hand necessarily because I'm sure someone could, someone is out there trying to come up with ideas on how to use animals in more f- efficient ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, perhaps sidestepped my actual question, but I do think <laughs> that you are bringing up some interesting points that you know. often when I'm doing outreach, some people will say, well, this stuff that you're showing me right now is really horrible, but isn't the real problem overpopulation? Because we have so many people that that forces us into a system where we have to use this highly industrialized agriculture in order to feed everybody. And of course that leads down the conversation that I was just talking about with, you know, factory farming versus small scale farming that, you know, 
because for them, the solution is, well, we reduce the population and we no longer have to highly confine animals in order to raise them efficiently enough. Because even though there's obviously horrible environmental output, like the <laughs> the efficiency of producing all the chickens in these crammed cages versus free range, it is more efficient. It is like correct on that level. But yeah, a lot of people will say, oh, well, all we have to do is reduce the population and we won't have to treat animals this horribly. But then, of course, the conversation is like, well, we don't want animals to be used at all, regardless of how big or small the population is. But so so you kind of went down the resource usage path with your response, Paul. Mm -hmm. So you think that the issue is not population, but just sort of how we're using our resources. Would you say that's kind of where your mind was going when you were talking about all those things? Yeah. Like, like, do you think that population control could play a role in, in all of these things? Or do you feel like that's just not necessarily the issue? I do. And I do think that, yeah, no, I think it, I think it, it has to, because th- th- it just does not physically make sense to for the population to just keep growing. It literally doesn't make sense because if we did, if, if humans did absolutely nothing, we would just get to a point where there would just be too many humans on on the planet and and not enough of of anything. So th- I think there does need to be an element of population control as well? Question mark? I'm going to give a soft yes to that answer. <laughs> a soft yes. I I think that from... I, I took in a lot of resources trying to do the research on this one, and I think even, even the folks who... I don't even want to say deflected, but they sort of pointed to other things that could be done that will help more than, say, population control... And we'll move into what we actually mean by population control and how that's been implemented in the past and what it could look like in the future a little bit later on in the episode. But most people acknowledge that, you know, the growth of the human population is a factor in, say, environmental degradation. That's that's kind of the main thing that a lot of people focus on. Not a lot of the resources that we're looking at, we're talking about it from an animal you know, cruelty and animal use perspective necessarily. But most people do acknowledge that there there's that it plays some part of our environmental issues. So I, I guess I currently will will go along with your soft yes on that, Paul. <laughs> and I think from the vegan perspective and in terms of what uh, Carmen was asking, which is even if we have a fully vegan world, which is presumably one that is using significantly less resources to produce food, don't we still need to worry about how many humans on the planet? And that had me thinking about our recent episode, episode 103, Do Vegan Ethics Go Far Enough?, where we were talking about how do we reconcile the fact that humans, humans, even vegans, do cause suffering to wild animals as well. We encroach on their territory. Certainly, as the human population expands, presumably we would need more land. Obviously, we could increase population density in cities we could i guess build vertically instead of horizontally colonize the moon (laughs) yes so but but assuming that the population grows and we need more resources that means we will encroach upon more land that is being used for wild animals so so I, i think the short answer to carmen's question is like yes i think that there is 
concern for the population of humans. But then I, I think the bigger question perhaps is, how do we deal with that? Or are there more important ways that we could deal with it that will ultimately affect the human population? So I want to kind of talk about how how this human population conversation usually goes and i think that often it gets wrapped up in the anti-natalist movement and for those that are sort of unaware they haven't heard this term before you may have encountered people that have these views but basically the anti-natalist view is that people should never under any circumstance procreate and and essentially it's one that assumes that non-existence is preferable to existence. And in this instance, that could be transferred to resource usage. Like, uh, no matter how well-intentioned a human being is on the planet, they're going to use resources. So therefore, from a population standpoint, wouldn't it be better that a human was never born at all than born and raised to be the most compassionate vegan who rides a bike and forages all their berries and all, all of these things that even that person would have a worse impact than someone that was never born at all? And have me thinking, like, isn't that kind of the basis for vegan strategy, which is the saying it's better for these animals to never have been born at all? Well, I, I think, first of all, I think it's different with veganism because on one end, you're f- with the with the animals, you're forcing something you're forcing you're forcing someone to be inexistent versus antinatalism, which is if you are like implementing this on other people, that would be forcing them to not be in existence. You know, do you know what I mean? So there, I feel like there's a difference with that. But beyond that, beyond that. I think that you can't really take that philosophy to its extreme, the, the, the philosophy that you were saying, which is even if someone's going to be vegan and, and the best to the environment, they're still going to have more of an impact on the environment than if they did not exist. I feel like you can't take it, it like the extreme of that is that no one, no one procreates. And then after a hundred years, there are no more humans and a point that I wanted to say before was that I feel like in addition to like, like obviously there's a bunch of factors, but the destruction of the environment is not only how we treat the environment, like, you know, people, I don't know, not recycling or just the terrible ways that we uh, harvest everything. <laughs> but it, <laughs> to give two to give two examples, like it's not just how it's not just what we're doing, but it's also how many people there are because if because in in eighteen hundred in the in the eighteen hundreds in the early eighteen hundreds, you know, if if someone littered or if someone did something destructive to the environment, it probably didn't have as much of an impact on the environment as a whole because there were not as many people doing that. So I feel like there's the two there's the two things that that need to be in balance with, with how many people there are and how people are acting. Because I think even if people are acting as, as good as they can for the environment, if the population continues to grow unchecked, I feel like it will still eventually get to a point where that's an issue. And then on the other hand, if we kind of keep the population, not, not like going down necessarily, but if we keep the population where it is, if people just keep acting really destructive towards the environment or how we live our day-to-day lives or how we produce things, if it keeps being this destructive, uh, that's also going to be an issue. So back to what you were saying, Andy, I feel like if, if everyone was anti-natalist and then no one 
procreated, it's like, I guess that would solve the problem because there would just be literally no more people after a while. But I, I feel like that's not the, that, that's not necessarily the solution that we need. We need, you know, we need like half of the people to not procreate because then, then we would get the population under control. But that leads to the issue of like, who, who do people get to choose to do this? Or is this forced upon people? Uh, yeah, I, and I want to answer that and talk about what that would look like. But I, I do want to circle back, Paul. And like, I, I feel like I, I, I need you to explain to me why, why the scenario where everyone stops procreating and there are no more people, why that isn't the most preferable scenario. Because I can, I, with with pretty good uh, confidence, I can guarantee you that. That is not what everyone wants to do. And well, uh, on- let's let's separate what people like a population would actually accept as a, an acceptable position, and then like let's talk about like in theory, like philosophically, you know, why would that not be the best possible option? Maybe you can't separate those two, but I, like, I, why I, wouldn't I it be the best option for all the humans to be gone? I I could, I'll tell you why, Andy, because what if on kind of the flip side, what if it turns out the best option for feeding the world ends up being these, like, I don't know, these genetically modified cows that just produce a lot more meat and it's super efficient and it ends up curing world hunger, but they still have to produce these cows and these cows still have to suffer. If that is the the most environmentally friendly way of producing food, you're still forcing something upon someone else just in the in the same way of i don't think everyone would not want to have children so you would have to be forcing that ideology on some of those people so i I don't think yes but but paul if there were no humans they wouldn't be genetically modifying those cows but how how are you going to get to that place where there's no humans well that's what i like i guess that's why i'm asking you like in theory why would it be bad if there's no more humans but I don't think that you can force that on people that don't want that. If there was a global education campaign and everyone was like, you know what? That actually makes sense. We are a plague on this earth and we should but stop creating. <laughs> but we're here to talk about the philosophy of it. Yes, I agree with you, Paul, though, that even if we reach that conclusion that the best thing for this planet is for no humans to be on it, which is certainly a position I've heard argued many times. I don't know if I really even necessarily disagree with that, but I do think that it is not necessarily an ethos that can be promoted to a global population because it's not something that will be accepted as a legitimate solution to our problems. I don't, I don't think that one is likely to get very far advocating for that. Like I, I do think that there could be something in that same sort of mass education that you were just talking about, about why that would be the preferable thing to do, and then just having a large portion of the population not have any children. And I think that that could possibly lead to a even a decrease in human population. Like, who, gets, I, who gets to have the children, though? Anyone that wants to. I'm just saying, like, I think 
if that's if that's if you're really into that philosophy and you can find other people that are really into that philosophy i feel like you would be willing to to say i'm not going to have any kids because i know that that's going to help the population issue and i know that i I know that other people aren't going to to agree with this i know that other people aren't going to do this but Heck, Andy, we're vegan, and that's what most most people aren't going to do that either. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to do it. All right, all right, and Fair we're going to keep and we're going to keep promoting other people be vegan too. Just like in this scenario that I'm coming up with on off the top of my head, you would be promoting to other people like, hey, you know, have you ever thought about not having kids? Because of this reason, this reason, this reason, and maybe that person won't have any kids. But you're not going around and forcing anyone to not have kids. Yeah, and I guess that is sort of a a big question mark, which is, is it a public education campaign or is it, say, a government-implemented situation? <laughs> I think that I want to talk about where these things can go wrong. I think even in terms of just having the conversations, I think a lot of folks, especially people with children or people that want to have children, in conversation with a lot of antinatalists, uh, I have. I'm not saying literally every antinatalist is like this. Um, I have. You know, I. I feel like I generally have a lot in common with those views, but I. For me personally, I'm kind of like I feel no reason to try and tell someone else to not have kids. I personally don't want children, but I think that's just because I'm not like good with kids. I'm good with dogs, <laughs> you know, like that's just sort of my thing. I wouldn't really want to assign any sort of moral compulsion to it. Just like I don't I don't drink alcohol just because I don't want to, even though there are a lot of people that have good reasons and, and philosophies for why. You know, it's good to be sober in terms of, you know, revolutionary struggle, all these things. But I think it would be dishonest for me to to apply those things to myself because I just I just don't want to, you know. So same same thing with kids for me. It's like I I just don't want to. Um, and I can I can say there's all these reasons why like I think it's good for the environment and all these things, which I do. But I also feel like I can't be too high and mighty on it. Like I'm not like fighting some biological urge that I currently have in the name of public good. It's just something I just don't want to do, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But there are people on the opposite end of the spectrum that sort of make it their business to like very often. And again, not everyone hashtag, not all antinatalists, but you know, (laughs) they, they, they very aggressively promote this ideology and do so to people who already have children to make them feel bad about having children. Do so to people that are pregnant, wish miscarriages. If a miscarriage does happen, they celebrate it and kind of rub it in that person's face. And how dare you? You're a breeder and you're just destroying the planet. All these things. I feel like that is often how I see these conversations going. And I feel like that's that not sucks. a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. <laughs> I feel yeah, like I can pretty sucks. easily say that. What's that, Paul? That sucks. Yeah, it's definitely it's not it's not a pretty corner of the internet to uh, interact with for sure. So, so that's sort of the personal side of it. And then talking about like a government implemented or an official legislative or something that's sort of a more mass scale version of this, where it's like forced upon people. That actually has a pretty horrible past in our country and globally, but definitely in our country, which is the United States. So I did want to talk about that because I think that this issue is such a touchy subject. And a lot of it is because there is a pretty horrible past 
with this stuff trying to be implemented comes with a lot of racism and xenophobia. It's often very classist. There's a lot of like colonialism there. It, you know, gets wrapped up in forced sterilization and eugenics. And, you know, usually in the past, these types of programs almost exclusively are used to control the population of those that are considered undesirable. Mm -hmm. And, Often that translates over into race, of course, and, and those in like lower class stratus. And and so that's why that question I asked you, Paul, like, well, who gets to choose to have kids, you know, and who is the ones that get to decide who gets to choose, you know, and obviously that's going to be people that are in power. So just some examples of this kind of stuff of, of forced sterilization are often called coerced sterilization. Uh, obviously the most egregious example of that is Nazi Germany, but even in the United States, in the U S there's programs that date back to 1920. And in fact, 32 of the United States had some sort of sterilization program for sterilization program. And, we might be tempted to say this, oh, that, but that's in the past. We're well past it. Um, but this stuff has a pretty rich history going up to pretty contemporary times. So, in fact, uh, in 2010 in North Carolina, that's when they formed the Justice for Sterilization Victims, uh, which was formed to sort of pay reparations to uh, those in North Carolina that were targeted as delinquent and unwholesome women and were be forced to be sterilized, coerced in being sterilized. And a, a third of them were under 18. Some were as young as nine years old. So that's, that's happening in North Carolina. And I found a really good article over at salon.com from uh, July 28th, 2017. So very recent. Uh, it says, modern day eugenics, prisoners sterilized for shorter sentences. So I'm just going to read a little bit from that article just to give people a, a sense of how this stuff is implemented now. Uh, a Tennessee county has greenlit a modern-day eugenics program under the guise of offering prisoners a better future. Judge Sam Benningfield of White County issued an order in May that reduces jail sentences for inmates who agree to undergo birth control procedures. For male inmates, a credit of just 30 days is offered in exchange for vasectomies, which are permanent, which that's not actually true. They can be reversed, but unless this is a different type of vasectomy. Women who sign up for the program receive a Nexplanin implant, which is effective for up to four years. The program is described as voluntary, though it stretches the definition of that term, basically putting inmates in the position of bartering their fertility for sentencing reductions. Considering that prison sentences are often the collateral damage of life issues from poverty to addiction to crime, it seems callous to ask already vulnerable people to forego a basic human right to shave time off their sentences. The ACLU argues that pretending the program gives prisoners real options is deceptive and perhaps unconstitutional. So, you know, that is, that's like now, that is happening right now. That's pretty horrible. The article goes on to say, in recent years, groups like Project Prevention have paid drug-addicted women as little as $300 to be sterilized. One ad advises potential enrollees, don't let a pregnancy ruin your drug habit. Jesus. <laughs> right? It's from another article. California prisons are said to have authorized sterilizations of nearly 150 female inmates between 2006 and 2010. The Center for Investigative Reporting reveals how the state paid doctors $147,000 to perform tubal ligations that former inmates say were done under coercion. 
So, so this is this is and and I, this is just the smallest sampling of cases like this. But I picked these out because they're here in the U.S., where I know a lot of our listeners are. Uh, shout out to all our international listeners as well, of course. But um, you know, this is something that we can be like. This is happening like right now. It's happening in California. It's happening in Tennessee. It's happening in North Carolina. This is not some fictional thing of the past. And this is often how population control measures are implemented. And if you notice, of course, these are all being done on pretty vulnerable people. Uh, often they're being done under the guise of like helping them. In that that case, mm-hmm. of, in, uh, in that case in Tennessee, I was talking about. There's all these people talking about like, well, we don't want them to be burdened with having to have a child when they're trying to start their new life, and it's all done under this. We're trying to help them out, and we see that again when it's implemented in developing countries. It's sort of rich folks, white folks, going in and telling a country, "This is what you need," and we're going to sort of coerce you into getting sterilized right now. So, so I, I think everyone, <laughs> I think people have all the right in the world to be very, very suspicious of people that do advocate for population control because of instances like this. I think that. Obviously, there are a lot of people that want population control. They're like, no, we don't want that at all. We just want people to willingly make of their own free will the choice to not have children anymore. Yeah. And that, of course, is like a big education campaign. But I think that it's, it's, it's hard to not see how things like this can lead to a slippery slope. And so it's, it's, to me, it's kind of like this is one of the reasons why this is such a hot button issue for so many people. Because the history of it is something that is very, very racist, very classist, and often ableist. So, yeah, I, I definitely get why people would would be like back off with that stuff. Well, do you, Andy? Do you think it's possible for there to be some some form of s- sweeping implementation of some policy that would fairly affect everyone? And if so, would that be a good thing? I'm, you know, I, I I hate to say this due to my lack of imagination, but I'm I'm trying to imagine a scenario that would, it, it'd be hard to imagine any scenario in which it wasn't forced upon someone that didn't want it in some way, whether it's like a lottery for who gets to choose who to vote, or if there's tax incentives for having less children, or, you know, obviously that's something that will affect people that have lower incomes and you know i'm just i do you have any ideas like what what do you mean when you say like sweeping program or reform or something like that that could affect everyone equally well this i feel like this kind of ties to policies that say like you're only allowed to have two children or something like that yeah how do you feel about those policies paul those those policies those paul policies paul policies uh oh I, like like i honestly feel like in 30 years and 40 years and 50 years, I think that would be, obviously, I don't know what's going to be happening then, but I think that's the thing that in my mind, in the, my 2017 mind, that's the thing that seems like it's most likely to happen to me. I, I think that obviously some, some new technology, uh, new developments will happen, can and will happen, but in my mind now, just picturing what's going to be in the future, I feel like that's the thing that I am most likely to see in 50 years. And and you dodged my question, Paul. <laughs> and how, how do, do you feel, feel about, about it? it? How would you feel about it if that was implemented? 
ugh, I, I, I would feel, I would feel weird about it right now. Like right now, I think it would rub me the wrong way, but I don't know how I'll feel in 50 years when it's, when overpopulation is, you know, causing is, is like we're on the brink of human extinction. I might feel better about it then. It, it still now seems like it's, I will say this. It seems less bad than all of the examples that you just gave me, Andy. And it also seems like it could be implemented to every single person, which would eliminate some of those issues. I also am have not prepared thinking about this. So there could be some other issues on how it would unfairly affect certain groups of people or certain communities differently than others that I am just not thinking of right now. I'm, that That's certainly possible, but it definitely seems better than all the other terrible things that you just listed. It still seems weird to me because it still in some ways seems like it's forcing you to do something, but I don't know. I'm definitely more favorable for it than, than just like, government any sort of government sterilization programs i feel like those are always going to be bad and and here's why because no one's like i was saying before no law is ever going to get passed that says no one can ever have kids ever again there might be laws that pass that say certain people can't and like like we've seen in the past and unfortunately more recently like, I think that's more likely, and that would be something that I'd be 100% against. Like, unless it's being distributed, whatever this is, this policy is being distributed equally amongst people, I feel like I would be against it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it comes down to if people think that, like, having a child is a human right. Um, but it, it, for me, it's hard to view any, like, government policy telling people how many children they can have as not being an infringement upon people's rights and their bodily autonomy. Um, you know, I guess I should have done a lot more research into, say, China's one-child policy before before we talk about this specific instance, because I did not look into a lot of these, like how these policies affect the population. Um, I, I did find an article from NPR.org that said how China's one-child policy led to forced abortions. And I... But, but Andy... I'm I'm interested on why you seem more opposed to the these like one or two child policies as opposed to the ideology of just no one ever being able to have children. Well, <laughs> I'm not I mean <laughs> I don't think I ever said no one should ever be able to be able to have children. Andy Tabar on the record. <laughs> Uh, I, like I, I would never be in favor of a government like legal policy that said no one can have children under penalty of death or fines or whatever it might be, or your child's gonna get killed if they if you have a child. I, I'm not saying I'm in favor of that at all. I think for me the big difference in what I would potentially be in favor of is people that are actively choosing to not have a child. You know, like, I think that is where I would fall down that that's where I would be okay with it. In my opinion, though, that's realistically never going to happen. And is it even worth debating about if that's never going to happen? Like if if even one person 
didn't want that to happen, you would say, okay, then we're not going to do this policy. And I can pretty much guarantee you that that's never going, that at least one person is always going to be against uh, the end of humanity as we know. Well, I'm, again, I'm not saying policy, Paul. I'm just saying that I think that perhaps promoting that as a moral stance would be as far as I would be willing to take it as long as, long as it's done in a non-judgmental, non-shitty way. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. I, I guess I am just worried that, well, I, I, I mean, maybe that's the thing that will help because that's kind of what we're promoting with veganism. So, and we hope that that's going to work out. So maybe we can also <laughs> hope that this is going to work out too. Fingers crossed. Uh, Obviously, they're two completely different issues though. Are they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> why? Tell me why. Tell me why they're they're the same issue, or tell me tell me what, what what's like related about them. Well, I, the issue is that in theory, humans being on the planet and growing in population will continue to affect animals negatively. Yes, I think that that's true, but I but I also don't think that one. I don't think even halting the human growth, like if it stayed where it was right now and we didn't change anything else we would still be killing billions and billions of animals every year. So it's not like it's not like population is the main reason why animals are being killed in the first place. Well, if and, there was no population, they wouldn't be killed by us, Paul. <laughs> but that's but that's never going to happen. Oh, I'm just saying that like obviously more humans that are consuming animals means more animals die. So yes, if if the population just stopped, if we're talking like a children of men scenario and no one's having children anymore, yes, obviously people here would continue to eat animals, but they wouldn't continue to increase the numbers of humans that are eating animals. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but what if the population declines, but everyone just says, oh, now I can eat more animals? Well, that just seems like a crummy thing to do. <laughs> I don't th- I, I don't think that that's what people do. I mean, it's when people are like, oh, for every chicken you no, don't I eat, know, I'm going to eat five. It's like no, no one's actually going and eating five because of that. But But I would say up until recently, I feel like meat consumption was increasing as population increased. Well, you know, Paul, apparently meat consumption is still increasing. Oh. See, so like that's that's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Yes. Astute observation. Let let's um let's move along a little bit though. I, like I kind of want to ask is is this population control argument is it just misguided? Is it sort of missing the point? When we first started talking about this, Paul, you were talking about resource usage and not necessarily, you know, like the amount, the way people are using resources versus the amount of people in general. Mm-hmm. And so I found a really cool article over at Vox.com, which is titled, I'm an environmental journalist, but I never write about overpopulation. Here's why. And it does talk about that resource usage as one of like the big things. And so there's uh, an image in this article from Oxfam that you can find. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. And essentially, it's a, a graph that sort of shows the correlation between wealth and resource usage. And basically, the poorest 50% of the global population are responsible for only 10% of emissions, 
whereas the richest 10% account for 49% of emissions. Hmm. And and people listening might be tempted to go, I am not rich, and therefore I am good, because I am not <laughs> flying on all those private jets like those billionaires, and, and thankfully I have a much smaller f- carbon footprint than they do. Uh, and then I found a cool article over at uh, Chicago Tribune, which says, you might be among the richest people in the world and not realize it. <laughs> so obviously, richest is relative to which population you're looking at. So you might not be one of the richest people in America, but you may be one of the richest people in the world. So so this article came out in 2016, so it was last year, but it says in 2015, 62 people had as much wealth as the poorest half of the world, which is 3.6 billion people. To be among the wealthiest half of the world last year you know, which when this article came out, it's 2015, an adult needed to own only $3,210 in net assets minus debt, according to the data. To be in the top 10%, a person needed to only have $68,800 in wealth. To be in the top percentile, the threshold climbed to $760,000, according to Credit Suisse. Consider that, according to the Federal Reserve, the median American family had $81,000 in net worth in 2013. And so, to be fair, uh, Credit Suisse says research is in its infancy and there's some data is incomplete. There are some people that argue that the numbers are off because this is taking into account debt. So it does mean some of these people are people that have taken on considerable debt in pursuits that will better them and, uh, quote unquote, better them and lead them to a job that has income or starting their business. And that's obviously different than someone that lives in abject poverty that is not able to take on debt or get a loan or any of these things. Um, but ultimately it does paint a pretty good picture of what we're looking at. So, so generally speaking, the vast majority of people in America, and I would guess in the UK as well, probably Australia are in that top 10%. Like we are the people that are using the most amount of resources. Yeah, And so this, like the vast majority of the global population, especially those in the global south, are not using the resources at nearly the rate that we, in the, the quote-unquote developed nations, these very wealthy nations, generally speaking, relatively speaking, are using. So maybe the question isn't, do we need to control our population? Because often these population control efforts go to these developing nations because they actually do have the higher rates, generally speaking, the higher rates of population growth. But even then, they're still not using nearly the resources that wealthy nations like the United States are using. So are we just totally misguided in in this conversation? Is it really more a question of, what about the the resources that we're using? How can we reduce the resources that we're using? But again, I think, like I was saying before, I think that's that's a dangerous path to go down because what if the answer is something that we would ethically disagree with? But that's the answer to to the 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 resource issue. That's this somehow if someone figures out again if. It's, someone figures out the oak jaw that that produces the most meat with the least environmental effect well what if we're also opposed to these forced population control methods efforts then this is this is a problem then (laughs) (laughs) this is why i'm kind of i think this is this discussion is kind of why i was thinking that they maybe weren't super related because i 
think that there could be answers to some of these questions that you're that you're posing right now that would go against veganism. Not that I don't think that there would be a way to do both, but it's almost like who's going to who's going to get there first? Is there going to be a vegan solution that's found first? Is veganism going to take off and therefore the non-vegan solution wouldn't be appealing to people anymore? Or is next year is someone going to invent some super meat thing that that everyone gets on like 99% of people get on board with and then it's basically anytime someone suggests veganism it's responded to with well would you like humanity to die out in 10 years because we're going to do it this way because that's how we will preserve ourselves well paul i feel like you're ignoring the fact that like right now you're presenting this hypothetical but the reality that we're currently living in is that, generally speaking, the average vegan is consuming way less resources than the average non-vegan. Yes. Obvious, and obviously, the average vegan can do way better. We can all do way better. There are, you know, obviously, if every vegan started to ride their bike and did all, all of these things, I'm not trying to say that the average vegan in the United States isn't generally a fairly wasteful person i would imagine in comparison to someone that is in one of these developing nations that we're referring to that use way less resources so i'm not i'm not trying to like give vegans a free pass like oh we're we're good we're doing it all but i think you're ignoring the fact that like right now we can look at well what is the best use of resources and generally speaking it is one that is a vegan lifestyle yeah so we can talk about this hypothetical but i think that and, it, you know, uh, to bring it back to Carmen's question, and Carmen was asking, well, what if everyone is vegan? Do we still need to worry about that? But I think that that is that's certainly a ways off. And so, like, right now, thinking about talking about promoting people to a plant-based diet, I know a lot of people are very opposed to that or they think they're opposed to that. But I think it's a lot more palatable to say, you should try this Impossible Burger. It tastes amazing versus telling people, why don't you stop having children and you're a horrible person for having children? Yeah. No, you're right. That's right. I am Paul. <laughs> no, I definitely see what you're saying. I think I'm just worried that, that there are people who maybe just like veganism is our, one of our main things that we talk about that there are people who, for whom population control is their main thing and chances are those people are not vegan and and whatever they're working for towards might not be something that that we would agree with necessarily um i don't know i mean i feel like there could probably be a lot of common ground between people that champion reduced population and people that champion veganism yeah. Because, again, they, they're both about reducing the amount of living beings that are on this planet that are using resources and causing destruction. This is true. Right? I th I think that, again, there could be the people that are into it so they can be like, let's reduce the population so I can do whatever the hell I want with this planet because it won't, you know, like you said, Paul, one person throwing a gum wrapper on the ground is not going to destroy the world, but if if a hundred million people do it, then we have a problem. Yeah. So maybe there are people that come at it from that perhaps more selfish angle where it's like, I just want less people here so I can, the earth can be my playground. But I think generally speaking that there is plenty of common ground that can be found between those two movements. 
I don't, I don't think you're wrong, Andy. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess the thing that I'm struggling with the most in this in this conversation is I don't know what the th- I don't even know what the thing to promote is besides saying to people, "Hey, think about not having kids." Well, I think that that that's sort of where we can go next in our conversation is like, what are the practical solutions to all of this stuff? But before we do that, I did want to ask you, Paul, say we did find a lot of mid ground between the, the population movement and the vegan movement. Is it one that vegans should get in bed with? Or do you think the population control angle is something that's sort of so controversial that if vegans partner with it, that it's going to make vegans seem even more fringe and make people not want to get on board with veganism. <laughs> I I stopped listening to the second half of your question because I think all I could think of was when you said should vegans get in bed with that, but then I was going to say but not have kids with because <laughs> no, I did listen to the second half of your question. So Andy, I don't think I've had as much personal experience with antinatalists as you have. You have certainly painted a specific picture of them for me and it is the picture that i think a lot of people have about vegans but similar to vegans i don't think that every i'm I'm sure that every antinatalist is not like that and i think it would be unfair of me to assume that everyone was like that and for that reason i i would say the whole like image of veganism wouldn't be the reason to not do it do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i i don't think that you know it's like i think that if this was your belief then there is there is productive and constructive ways to communicate these things to other people with veganism and with antinatalism if that's your thing so I don't think necessarily that it would be like a PR disaster for veganism. And I think if that's what we wanted to do, we can do it in ways that would be constructive. I personally don't see that really happening. I still, even though I understand what you're saying, Andy, I still think that in the Venn diagram of veganism and antinatalism, yes, there is overlap, but I don't think it's so much that we should be like, oh, now these two movements are one. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I, I think that we also need to be careful about necessarily saying that everyone in the population control movement is necessarily antinatalist. I, I'd imagine there's probably a lot of people that are in that that are like, yeah, have a, a child or two, but cap it at that, that don't necessarily think that like any and all, you know, birth of a human being is the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah, that's just you. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk about the ways that I think that we could potentially constructively talk about this, because I feel like our conversation has led us down this path. It's like, there's a lot of landmines with this, but it is something that could potentially aid in environmental impact and there there's no reason to say it's not a problem whatsoever but i do think that it is important for us to one have the conversation about resource usage because often this focus is turned on these developing nations these poorer nations that are having a higher growth rate than the u.s is you know, so I, I think yeah. it is important that we educate people on that aspect of it, that it's not just like 
oh, we just need a, a reduction in global population. It's like, well, also those of us who are using the most have an obligation to use less. And I'm, I mean, I think that vegans do tackle environmental stuff in some of their messaging and education anyways, like w- without, without even being a part of that group, like without, without the crossover, I mean, I feel like they're vegans, many vegans do that kind of stuff anyways, when they promote the, the environmental aspect of it. So in some ways I feel like we are already kind of doing that. But to me, that still that feels like the extent of any sort of crossover that would happen. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I feel like I don't. I don't have any response to that, Paul. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just. I guess I'm still not seeing as much of the, like, I'm not seeing as much of the overlap as as you are. I think, and 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 it would it would seem weird to me, or it would seem not weird to me, but it would seem out of place for a vegan event to also be ah maybe it's not i don't know well i think there's probably a difference in incorporating it into our messaging like if if like vegan outreach started making leaflets there was all like this is what happens to chickens this is what happens to pigs next page and this is why you shouldn't have children anymore <laughs> i think that would certainly throw people off but I, you know, there are I know a lot of great vegan activists that have gotten vasectomies. Um, obviously, it's a lot easier for for those with penises to get a vasectomy than it is for those with fallopian tubes to get their tubes tied. You know, so I think Paul, we can sort of wrap this up by talking about potentially some ideas for for those of us that do believe that perhaps there is some benefit to the human population not growing as fast. Like, how can we constructively advocate for these things that don't result in the shaming of people for their reproductive choices? I think that often, and we haven't really touched on this, but there's definitely an air of sort of misogyny and, and sexism that comes along this with this territory as well, where, you know, women are shamed for their reproductive choices. So, you know, we want to make sure that we avoid that as well. So I, I have a couple ideas. Let me know what you think about these, and you can throw a couple of yours on there as well. Mm-hmm. But I think first and foremost, we need to create a climate where it's okay to not want children. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that right now, a lot of people have kids because it's the thing you're supposed to do. And I didn't, I didn't link any for our conversation right now, but I've seen a few great articles, which are sort of compilations of women talking about regretting having their children. And there's like not there's not like society hasn't created a space for people to not want children. And, you know, a lot of these women talk about like I had kids because my partner wanted them. But now that I've had the child, I just feel like I don't have my life anymore and and all these things. And obviously not everyone that has a child feels like that, of course. But I think that we (laughs) hopefully not. Mom, are you listening? Um, But like we need to create an atmosphere where it's okay for people to say, no, I don't want children. And to not sort of feel like, well, if I'm going to level up in my relationship, well, I get married, then I have to have kids. And, you know, I think that we need to make it a normal thing for people to not have children and not be a weird thing. I know as as a man, I don't get nearly the the crap that a lot of women get. 
Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm being mm-hmm. kind of binary right now, but like, we, you know, it's so much of that onus is placed on those that can actually bear the child that, oh, you're going to want kids. You're not a complete person unless you have kids. You don't know what it's like. You're going to change your mind, all of these things. Those don't happen to me nearly as much as it is to those that can actually bear the child. So it's like we need to totally change that atmosphere and normalize not having children for those that don't want to. And not in a way that's like you shouldn't have children. No one should have children. But just in a way it's like, hey, if that's your thing, if you don't have kids, that's totally cool. I I 100% agree. And I I feel maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I feel like the 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 groups that I hang out with, the people that, that are more closer to my age – I feel like the climate is shifting and as our generation grows up, I, I, I do think that that will shift. I, I hope that it's it, it shifts faster than just saying like, well, let's wait till the people that don't think this way die out. <laughs> I, I, I would hope that it happens quicker than that. But I do definitely, I know a lot of people that, I know a lot of people my age that don't want kids and I don't know a lot of people my parents age that don't have kids yeah you know what I mean well I think the people your parents age would say they'll change their mind and maybe they will perhaps they will but and we need to create a space where that is okay as well I suppose I would say that certainly within my circle of friends and that includes a lot of activists so I I am 100% aware that I am super in my own bubble here, but I I do think within sort of my scene, the amount of friends I have that have gotten vasectomies is a lot of people. And so I think that within certain sects of society, that is the case. But I think in, in general, when I see posts from friends that don't necessarily run in the same circle, that are talking about how they tried to go get sterilized but the doctor was like oh but you're only 25 and you haven't had kids and the medical establishment is making that decision for them and they're like no i'm here i'm telling you i'm of sound mind and body and i don't want to have children anymore i don't want the possibility of having children that they're they're turned down from that so i do Mm -hmm. know and just from comments of people that are like uh, whenever i visit my aunt she always brings up why don't you have kids and i do know that this is something that's still very pervasive but i think that in general you're right paul that the tide is changing but i think much more in certain areas of society than other areas yeah and and like on that note i think it it's very important for us to make it a lot easier for people that want to get sterilized to get sterilized Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's not really the place of a doctor to tell someone you're going to regret this and I'm not going to do it for you. Yeah. Someone, people, if they are of an if they're, if they can go and fight and die in a war, if they can vote for the president, I think that they should be able to make those decisions about their body. Yeah. Hard stance. Hard stance right there. Um, another thing I think that we need to have a huge push for better sex education, better birth control education. A lot of the articles that are looking at, we're talking about how, you know, the, the countries where there's big pushes for those things have a lower birth rate. And so sort of empowering people to not have children if they don't want to, and to know how to prevent those things from happening can go a long way. And some articles I read even said that that would be more powerful than switching over 
a portion of our energy to solar power or wind power. Like these are things that can have a big impact. So I think that's something to consider. I also think we need to have an atmosphere where adoption is more normalized and more considered to be a, a, a desirable option. Cause I think that it's still in movies, it's like a weird thing and it's bad for the kid and all that stuff. I think that that needs to be made a much more viable option for people as well. That was going to be mine. Dang it, Andy. Stole it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. basically, don't place all the blame on on poor people and then give like rich people and corporations a free pass for all of their overconsumption. And when I say rich people, I mean those of us that are like middle class Americans as well. We're we're included in that global rich right now. So I think that we need to, we need to make sure that we put the 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 blame and the effort and the focus in the most productive areas. And often it doesn't even need us to say the phrase population control. Like we can advocate for less resource usage. We can advocate for better sex education, all of these things that will have a really positive impact on the issues that we're trying to have an impact on. But we don't have to bring out this population control boogeyman. Yeah, I think especially something like adoption is like you said, it definitely it definitely is often represented or portrayed a certain way. But. In general, same thing with with dogs and cats. I, I feel like the general population is into adoption, and we see it as a good thing. But I would agree with you, Andy, that it's still not not always accessible, and it's not always it's not something that a lot of people even think about. But it's it's something that a lot of people would be like, "Oh, that's so great that you're doing that type of type of thing." Yeah, we need to make it cool to adapt, Paul. <laughs> yeah. All the all the children come with a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Boom. Done. <laughs> Solved it. And you're welcome. World. And it also and it also doesn't cost a, a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, for sure. You got any more thoughts on this one, Paul? Nope. My brain is fried like a uh, follow your heart vegan egg. <laughs> well, your voice held out, so that's good. That's good news. It did. Yeah, my brain, not so much. But this was a really good discussion to have. It's not something that I've, as usual, as most of our discussions are, it's not something that I've really thought about before. So uh, I, I appreciate you bringing this up, Andy, and I appreciate us having this conversation. Yeah, and I am sure there are a million points that we missed and other angles that we we didn't dive into. There, I went, I went deep into the internet wormhole, reading all the sorts of articles and watching videos on this stuff. It's a lot of ins and outs and what have yous on this. So if we miss something that you feel like you want to bring to our attention, we would absolutely love to hear from you, especially on this or any issue you want us to talk about. You can send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Don't forget we have an Instagram, we have a Facebook, and we love it when you leave us a nice rating and review on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. So do it. Do it. Andy, you got anything coming up? That's right. November 19th, <laughs> I got something coming up, Paul. I'm going to be at the Vegan Pop-Up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I'm so happy to return to the, my beloved Northeast. Yay. December 8th and 9th, I'm going to be at the Compassion Fest Holiday Bazaar in Hamden, Connecticut. And on that 9th, on that second day there, the Saturday, Paul and I, we're going to be doing our live podcast taping at 5 p.m. Again, it's free to come out, so please do. All the beardos, love to see you. December 10th, I'll be at the Vegan Market in Brooklyn, New York. December 17th, Paul's going to be at the Philly Vegan Pop Flea at the Tattooed Mom in Philadelphia. 
And on December 17th, I will also be doing the vegan pop-up in Morristown, New Jersey at the Laundromat Bar. So that's all the stuff through the end of the year. And Come say hi. Come say hi. Yeah, all those events, Paul or I will be behind the Compassion Company table. We'll have those free beard vegans buttons and stickers for you. Just pop on over, say, what's up, Beardo? And that is your key to getting a button and sticker. And if you forget, probably still offer one to you. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find all the dates, deeds, and links for those at CompassionCo.com. This is CompassionCo.com. And also got a whole bunch of dates all the way through July of next year up there as well. So definitely go check it out. Cool. So, Paul, thinking back to the beginning of the episode, something that we didn't talk about with that interview with the Tyson CEO and president that I, that I thought was kind of bizarre and a little bit out of place was when Kai Rizdal asked him, I don't know why anyone would ask anyone this in an interview, but he was like, do you have a favorite phrase or like an inspirational quote that you want to share with the world? And bizarrely, he just said the following seven words. We are the Breed of Beacons signing off. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. I remember one year my mom took me school shopping. It was me, my brother, my mom, oh, my pop, and my little sister all hopped in the car. All right. Well, before we get into the show, a couple of announcements. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Did you oh, hear one that? One announcement just came in. <laughs> what are the trends that are happening and how we can... <clears throat> we want to look at the trends that are happening and how can we continue to make animal protein sector more sustainable. Damn it. So for us, you know, we want to look at what the trends are. So for us, you know, we want to look at... <laughs> <laughs> for me it feels like it would make more sense for them to just like rebrand re- <laughs> all right shall we move on to this next item paul let's do it maybe a little uh a little less no whatever whatever shut up <laughs> yes let's move on to the next item a turkey theme race will be placing placing take hmm the tofu stack, a take on a Mexican-inspired mm, taco, taco salad. What's that? You said tofu stack. Oh, whoops. <clears throat> the taco stack, a take on a Mexican-inspired taco salad. <laughs> <laughs> Your battery's just uh, winding down there, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm playing. Can we, can we not trust? Who can we trust if we can't trust Veg News? You know, I know I have a lot of blah, blah. and and I was gonna say, um, no, I don't remember what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I thought of one more thing that people can do to aid in population control. It's it's a really interesting form of birth control, actually. So if like you're going out on a date with someone and you you wine and dine together and you go back to their place, get it for a, for a nightcap, for a cup of coffee, and you start making out a little bit, then you get in bed. And then instead of following through, you say the following seven words and then just leave. <laughs> we are the bearded vegan signing off. Not clinically approved. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> I'll include that one in the bloopers.